The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. It's man-to-man coverage. This is the PFT PM Podcast. And now, your host, Mike Florio. It's January 9, 2018, PFT PM Afternoon Edition. I'm a little bit crimped for time today, so I just can't go on and on and on for as long as I would like, which, I don't know, maybe that's good news. Maybe that makes it better. One thing that makes it better, the presence of Steelers linebacker T.J. Watt. He will join us coming up. A taped interview from earlier today. I think you enjoy it. T.J. Watt, a guy who slid down round one, but it was perfect. Perfect. It felt perfect to see him as a member of the Pittsburgh Steelers, and he's had a big rookie season. Talk to him about getting ready to face the Jaguars again. And something that occurred to me, to the extent there's any temptation about peeking ahead to the Patriots, when you have a team coming to town that already beat you once, that tends to cause you to focus a little bit more intently on the divisional round before you get yourself caught up in a possible rematch with the Patriots. And, you know, there may not be a rematch with the Patriots. There may be an upset on Saturday night, which really will change the dynamic on Sunday. But the Steelers can't think about any of that. They have to focus on the Jaguars, and we'll focus on T.J. Watt coming up. Before that, a couple of the things that came to light today. Press conferences. Both of the head coaches who have been hired so far were introduced an hour apart. And it really is striking when you see them back-to-back like that. Now, Matt Nagy, who got into coaching just about seven, eight years ago, a lot like Doug Peterson, former player. Now, unlike Peterson, Nagy primarily played arena football. He spent a very brief period of time with the Eagles, then became a coaching assistant, went to Kansas City with Andy Reid, became the offensive coordinator last year, was the play caller for all of six regular season games, maybe six total games. He got the assignment as the Chiefs were struggling following a 5-0 start. And I think he did five regular season games total in one postseason game because they lost that first game where he handled the play calling, but the offense was a lot better. Andy Reid has called Matt Nagy, the best coaching candidate he's ever worked with, and that's high praise when you consider the Andy Reid coaching tree. But from the press conference standpoint, and one of the things you always look for, and one of the most important skills of a head coach at the NFL level, can you command a room? When you walk into the room and you say, okay, guys, listen up, how do they all collectively respond? Do you instantly get to the point where you hear a pin drop? Does it take a few tries? Does it take someone other than the coach to yell out, okay, guys, come on, coach has something to say. These are real-world dynamics that indicate how much a man is respected. And you don't have to be a yeller and a screamer and a firebrand to get respect. In fact, sometimes if you're that way, you're still not respected. There are more qualities that go into it. But, man, to see Matt Nagy, the new Bears coach, introduced via a press conference an hour before John Gruden returned to Oakland. My God. Night and day difference. Now, will they be that way in the locker room? It's a different audience. And a lot of former Raiders showed up for the John Gruden press conference, but I can't help but remember when Gruden was fired by the Buccaneers, Simeon Rice publicly called him a scumbag, and there were no Buccaneers players that rushed to his defense, which... Look, regardless of what Gruden says in the locker room, there may get to be a point where it's just enough. And I'm really torn on this because I wasn't a big fan of John Gruden as a broadcaster. I think I'm a big fan of him as a coach. I feel like I want to see him do well. But, you know, for nine years on Monday Night Football, 
he wasn't himself. I felt like he was more himself today than he ever was for nine years in the broadcast booth. And I just like authentic. I don't like having to guess, is this the real person? And I think most people who try to be something other than they are aren't nearly as interesting as they'd be if they would just be who they are. Boy, that sounds awfully damn deep and profound. Maybe I should do shorter podcasts more often. But I liked the spirit and the fire and demeanor from John Gruden. And you sense he really wants to be there. And you sense that Mark Davis really wants him to be there. I mean, by God, he almost was hyperventilating as he was getting ready to introduce John Gruden. There were a couple of those deep breaths. Two or three times. I love those human moments, too. You know, we feel like coaches and owners are so detached from the rest of us. Moments like that are actually endearing. They make you look past the haircut. There really is a similarity in the hairstyles between Mark Davis and John Gruden. And look, Gruden wants to be there, and Davis wants him there, and I'm very intrigued by what's going to happen. Gruden had high praise for Derek Carr. There are concerns about how Derek Carr is going to take that constant in-your-face Coaching, coaching, coaching. And Gruden seems to be sensitive to it because he said, look, I know that you'll hear the profanity and the yelling and the screaming, but when things go well, I'm the biggest cheerleader out there. And I just want to win. And when you don't win, people are unhappy. You should be unhappy when you don't win. He was non-committal as it comes to Marshawn Lynch. At one point, he said they have to figure out who their featured running back is going to be which caused me to think, well, I thought it was Marshawn Lynch. And then he said he's never met Marshawn Lynch, that he's asked for Marshawn Lynch in production meetings, but he's never gotten Marshawn Lynch. So he's going to sit down to him and talk to him and figure out what Lynch wants to do. And you know what? Lynch may be the kind of guy who doesn't want that kind of coaching. Really. Marshawn Lynch fumbles the ball and is walking over to the sideline, and John Gruden wants to get in his face and say, Marshawn, what the hell's wrong with you? I don't know that that's the best approach for dealing with Marshawn. You know, you got 53 different personalities. you got to deal with all of them in their own way. But there are some of these guys where you just can't be the same guy all the time. And I feel like Gruden is more inclined to try to find guys who will mesh with him and adapt to him as opposed to guys where he has to figure out well, how do I deal with that guy? How do I deal with that guy? I need to be a little softer on that guy. I can be a little harder on that guy. I need to ask this guy about his family. I need to ask that guy about his hobbies. I need to ask this guy about his grandma. I think Gruden just wants to be Gruden. And you adapt to Gruden. He's the alpha male. He sets the tone. Now, is it going to wear on people? Is it going to rub people the wrong way? Yes. If they win, it's not going to be an issue. I mean, one of the reasons there may have been some resentment in Tampa Bay was 45 and 51 over the final six years of Gruden's time there. And there were several moments during his press conference that were truly funny. Now, Nagy's, eh. And, and look, the guy's brand new. The guy's never coached before. I'm giving him the benefit of the doubt. He may end up being a great coach. People had misgivings about Doug Peterson, and he's been great. But that contrast, what a difference between the two coaches. John Gruden said, I haven't won a game since 2008. I also haven't lost a game since 2008 either. I mean, there were little one-liners like that peppered throughout. And it makes me think that he's really gotten better through nine years of broadcasting. Whatever kind of a communicator he was before he became the lead analyst on Monday Night Football, after nine years of doing that, of doing the quarterback camp, of doing the draft coverage, of having to be on all the time, always on, 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 you learn how to communicate better. I've learned over the last decade how to communicate better. And it just oozed out of Gruden. The passion, the fire, the desire. And, you know, we don't think about this very often. I know I don't. We're coming up on the anniversary of the tuck rule, but that was his last game with the Raiders. He got traded after that, and he's still salty about it. He said, there's unfinished business as a coach. I was traded. I was fired. For my career to end that night in New England, it still ticks me off. And he also said Brady fumbled it. So I'm excited by this. Despite nine years of grumbling and grousing about Gruden in the broadcast booth, why won't he be 
the guy who he is. Mike Tirico is going to join us on PFT Live tomorrow. And I'm going to ask Mike, why do you think John just wouldn't be the guy who he is? Was this a nine-year effort to preserve all opportunities, to keep all doors open? It sure feels that way. But, man, somebody's going to be getting the real John Gruden. Derek Carr's going to be getting it. Other guys on that team are going to be feeling it. He hired Paul Gunther to be the defensive coordinator because he wants to have a defense like the Bengals and the Vikings. And if that works and you couple it with an offense that can make it happen, it's going to be an interesting time in Oakland and then in Las Vegas. He feigned ignorance about... And look, this is an example. Let me just stop a second. Give you a moment of self-awareness. I went into this today intending to spend a decent amount of time talking about Matt Nagy's press conference and his journey. I went straight into Gruden. All I want to talk about is Gruden. Gruden had an impact on me. Gruden is a fascinating figure. And again, despite the fact that I think he was a bit of a phony the last nine years, and I've probably been harder on him than maybe I needed to be, but he's a big boy. He can take it. I'm just, I am genuinely at a visceral level. I am fascinated by Gruden as a coach, and I'm going to be paying closer attention to the Raiders. And this is the perfect guy to draw people to the Raiders, Raiders fans and non-Raiders fans. Hey, let's go to that Raiders game when we're in Las Vegas next weekend. Uh, They got that head coach, that Gruden guy. I don't really like him, but boy, he seems like he's really into it. He's going to be a great ambassador for the team. He's going to be a great face of the franchise. Now, if they don't win, that's a problem. And he's really pissed, and it's great to hear it. He's really pissed about the restrictions on offseason interaction with players. And I'm not a big fan of it either. Now, it's one thing to restrict the amount of contact, either via padded practices in season or the OTAs where there's not supposed to be contact, but there is. But I don't know why you can't meet with your quarterback all the time. Why can't you say, anybody who wants to come in for meetings, anybody who wants to come in to watch film, now they're trying to make sure that the players actually have a real offseason, and there is a fine line there. You want the players to choose to come in. Well, the problem is you're only going to sign players that are going to choose to come in. And if you show any inclination, they're not going to choose to come in. They're going to choose to find somebody else who will come in. That's the problem. It's like the early days of the voluntary workouts. There were some teams that had very low percentage participation, and others had 100%, and it showed. Eventually, it evolved to the point where you have 100% participation. I think the same thing will happen. If they would allow for completely voluntary off-season meeting time between January and April, you would have, initially, some teams with a high percentage of turnout, some teams with not so much, and then, in time, it would eventually get to the point where, look, guys are just going to understand it's part of the gig. It's office work for three months. You still work out on your own time or you work out at the facility, but there's no physical activity of any kind that occurs under the supervision of the team. You're all on your own for that. But you can attend meetings. You can be students of the game if you choose to be. And again, why not let guys choose to be? Students of the game. Why not let guys choose to meet with their coaches? It's going to drive John Gruden crazy that he can't get together with Derek Carr. And frankly, I kind of have a feeling he'll find a way. I kind of have a feeling that, 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 that there will be a way. There will be an opportunity. There will be a clandestine effort. Gruden admitted that young players used to come and work with him. Young players that wanted to improve. I wonder how many teams paid John Gruden as a consultant while he was with ESPN. And part of that job unofficially was to work with players and meet with players and show them how to study film, show them how to better understand their playbook, teach them how to learn. A lot of that stuff happens and we don't hear about it because it doesn't really sell newspapers or generate clicks. Would it surprise anyone, not me, to learn that that Gruden has had some sort of a relationship with various teams out there. And I don't think ESPN uh, has a history of saying no to that. Some networks will say no to it. But I know of folks in the past who 
who wanted to consult and they ended up at ESPN because ESPN would allow them to consult. Because I think if you do have those relationships, they need to be disclosed, especially if you're in there meeting with teams that, that, that haven't hired you to be a consultant. And look, I've really slid down a rabbit hole here. I have no idea. But the thought came to me. You know, is Gruden doing it for free? Somebody's paying John Gruden. If the player's paying him, it's one thing. If the team's paying him, it's another. There's a consulting arrangement there that should have been disclosed. Just pick a team. The Saints. That's just the first team I thought of. If they have a consulting agreement with John Gruden and he's working, and this is not a good example because Drew Brees doesn't need it. Let me try another team. The Panthers. Cam Newton. Ron Rivera wants Cam Newton to have structure in the offseason. Ron Rivera wants Cam Newton to have further film study. And learn from a guy like John Gruden. And who's going to pay Gruden to do Gruden's not going to do that out of the goodness of his heart. Maybe Gruden's been working with Kirk Cousins for free the past few years to help his brother Jay. The bottom line is, if you let the teams meet with the players, if you let the teams work with the players, you avoid all that. Just let the players who want to show up and meet with their coaches and study film and start the process of self-scouting and planning and trying to get ahead of the trends, and trying to get ahead of the curve, why not let them do it? It's a full t- this isn't like it used to be, where at the end of the season, you'd come in the door, you'd throw your cleats in the corner, you'd go have some other job, selling cars, right? Working here, working there, being an accountant, doing this, doing whatever. From January until late July, and then late July you go show up for training camp. It's not that way anymore. It's a full-time year-round job, so they should let these guys work full-time and year-round. Back to Matt Nagy. I'm going to give Nagy. It's Nagy. Nagy, Nagy. It's Nagy. At least that's what they said today at the press conference. So i got to keep practicing that. Nagy, Nagy, Nagy. I need to nag myself to say Nagy. That's how I'm going to remember it. Pepperoni Tony. So Matt Nagy is introduced today. And I do love the story. I am concerned, though, about the Bears. The last 18 years under Ted Phillips, four playoff appearances. I feel like the Bears locked on to Nagy because I think he fit what they were looking for. And what they were looking for, in part, was somebody who was going to be th- so thrilled to be a head coach that he wasn't going to say, you know what, I'm really not comfortable with this structure. I'm really not comfortable with Ted Phillips. I'm really not comfortable uh, with this, that, or the other thing. I want to do some, some things my way. I'm not a firm believer in Mitchell Trubisky. Nagy is. Nagy's going to be a believer in whatever quarterback they have. But Nagy spent some time with Trubisky last year, both at the Combine, and I think they had him in for a private visit with the Chiefs. I don't know if they were interested in getting him. They would have had to trade up a hell of a lot farther than they did to get Patrick Mahomes. But Nagy seems to be a believer in Trubisky. Nagy is a believer in himself. You have to be. A lot of the things that Nagy said about himself, look, you wouldn't be standing there if you didn't feel that way, if you didn't have passion for the game. I felt like Nagy's was the equivalent of a book report that has to be a certain number of words and has to have a certain number of elements in it. It felt perfunctory. It felt like he was checking boxes. It felt like he was saying the things that he thought he needed to say in order to properly deliver an introductory press conference. Gruden just showed up, and he was Gruden. And Nagy may end up being a better coach. There may be no correlation whatsoever. But being as objective as I can, I'm not excited about the Bears. I'm very excited about the Raiders. And I think most people who are objective, truly objective, and watch those two press conferences, and I don't know how many people watched both of them an hour apart and actually made no, I made active notes, actively listened to what they were saying, made notes so I could write stories in real time while I was listening and making more notes. So I studied this carefully. And if transcripts are generated, I'm going to study them carefully. But to me, it was a night and day difference. And this would be a great test. You know, we see from time to time two quarterbacks get drafted the same year or a team picks this guy instead of that guy, trades this guy away. It gives you some dotted line comparisons. I'm going to be intrigued by how the two guys who were introduced an hour apart on the same day, night and day difference, night and day background difference. Matt Nagy, 39, first-time head coach of the Bears. John Gruden, 54, after eight years out, previously coached the Raiders, 
previously coached the Bucks, founding member of the Fired Football Coaches Association. Which of these two guys thrives and which of these two guys doesn't? Or maybe they both do. Maybe they meet in the Super Bowl in one of these upcoming years. All right. As promised, a team that is trying to get back to the Super Bowl again, a team that has six Lombardi trophies, is trying to fend off the Patriots in their effort to get the number six, and along the way trying to get the number seven, the Pittsburgh Steelers and their first-round rookie, T.J. Watt. Here's my conversation with T.J. Watt from earlier in the day. Welcome back. Joining us now, a guy who has completed his rookie regular season, getting ready for his first postseason appearance. He is Steelers linebacker T.J. Watt. T.J., welcome to the program. How are you? Thank you for having me on. I'm doing really well. Hey, it's great having you. Now, how well are you doing physically? 15 games, regular season games, more than you've ever played in a football season. How has the body held up knowing that you've got some playoff games, hopefully games still to come? I think the bye week helped me a lot. Uh, I know I'm a young guy, but still, uh, after last week's game, I kind of sat down on the couch and just, oh, man, this is this is a long season, and my body definitely has taken a toll, but uh, last week was really conscious of uh, just taking care of my body, getting the right amount of sleep, and I feel great this week. How does the team strike the balance between taking advantage of the rest that comes from the bye week but also being physically ready to face a team that didn't have a bye week, that had to play and win in the wild card round? Because I think sometimes you get to the divisional round, the team that had a bye week maybe takes a little longer to get the kinks loosened out against a team that, that played the prior weekend. Yeah, I definitely uh, can see how that can happen because you get out of rhythm, you get out of uh, sync when you've been going for uh, 15, 16, 17 weeks in a row, you kind of get into that rhythm. And then when you throw a bye week in there, it kind of takes, it kind of throws a wrench in the whole operation. But uh, we were in pads one time last week, um, so that kind of helped us stay in the rhythm. And uh, we just have a really focused group, and we know what the end goal is, and we know how to get there, so we know we can't uh, get off that. I saw that one thing you did during the bye week. You went to one of the Penguins games, and you played hockey as a kid growing up in Wisconsin. Um, hockey players, tough guys, a long season. And, and I usually ask this question when we get toward the hockey playoffs, but I'll ask you now since you were just at a game, who's tougher in your mind, football players or hockey players? I think it's two different types of tough. Um, I definitely respect everything uh, hockey players do and everything they go through. Just the speed of the game is what's so fun about hockey for me is because there's not a lot of stoppage time. Guys are just flying around, giving it everything they have for that short 20 to 50 seconds that they're out there on the ice and they get line changed up and then you get uh, a couple of goons who go at it and that's always fun to watch too. Now, what kind of guy would you have been if you had kept playing hockey? Would you have been the speed guy or would you have been one of the goons? I would like to think I would be um, a goal scorer, but I think I'm, I don't know if I'm small and fast enough to play forward, but so I, I think I'll accept the goon role as a defender. Is it a given that your older brother would have been a goon? <laughs> Daniel was a heck of a goal scorer too, so I don't. He would like to think the same thing as me, I bet, but he he'd end up being a goon as well. Wait, be JJ, a, be a good goon on goon matchup, me versus him. What about JJ? Yeah, JJ is the same way. I think JJ would be a goon. He he takes more <laughs> goals, but I think he's too dang big to uh, too big and too slow on the ice to get around those guys. Isn't it amazing, though, the number of games, the pounding they take, the physicality of hockey, and they play 82 regular season games and then up to 28 playoff games. And, and again, I know it's a different kind of a physicality, but, I mean, they just keep grinding and grinding, and it seems like they never complain about anything. It is, and they go on those stretches uh, of games in a row, and uh, they don't have as many pads as, as we have, as thick of pads as we have, and Every little, hey, you see guys kind of grimace, but they just shake it off and keep going. So it's it's impressive to watch. Hey, TJ, there's been so much talk locally and nationally about a rematch of the Steelers and the Patriots in the postseason. Is it almost a good thing that you've got a Jaguars team that you guys played earlier in the year and that they, they came in and they won, that you can really focus all in on them and not get distracted at all about thinking ahead to what may come next? Yeah, I think it is. Because like you said, they came in uh, our place. Uh, early this season, they kind of handed it to us and um, kind of showed us that they they were going to run the ball all over us and we couldn't stop it. So I think 
our sole focus is the Jacksonville Jaguars. If we don't handle business this weekend, there is no next weekend for us uh, this year. So I think we're just going to go out here. We're going to try to stomp the run uh, just like we do every week, and uh, hopefully that makes uh, the quarterback have to open up and throw. When you look back at what happened the last time, and Leonard Fournette had significant yardage. Now 90 came in essentially garbage time, but he had some good runs. He had some success. What have you learned from looking at the film from last time around as to what it will take to stop that guy this time around? Well, it was just a lot of run fit issues. I think we had um, we, we were we were just towards the end of the game when he started breaking uh, some of the longer runs. We had some run fit issues where we were just trying to do too much. We were trying to make the the big splash play when we should have just been maintaining our gaps and. Um, I think more than anything, I think he's just a really sound runner, and he he knows how to finish off runs, and uh, he's he's got a great line in front of him, and I think they just do a really good job of not only running early but running throughout the whole game. They're they're not going to go away from the run. Is there any lingering saltiness on the defensive side of the ball for that bring it gesture that Leonard Fournette had when he broke through the first level in one of his uh, runs during that game? I think we're more we're more bitter about letting him run for a hundred and whatever yards it was than anything about that. I think we just really have a bad taste in our mouth. We want to wash it out with with a good performance on Sunday. Who on the team has taught you the most this year on what it takes to be a successful NFL player? Uh, I, I always say Cam Hayward. Cam Hayward's been just a great uh, mentor for me, uh, just because he's he's been in the league for a long time. He's super super good. He's, he's a professional in every area of the game. He takes walkthroughs so serious. He takes everything so serious. But at the same time, he has so much fun. And he's just been able to teach me to kind of go out, be, be my best self, uh, show your personality in the field, but at the end of the day, um, be a professional and ball out. Was there a point where you felt like things started to click for you, where either the game slowed down or you made a play that made you feel, hey, I belong here. This is where I'm going to be and I'm going to be successful? I think in the preseason was kind of when I found out like this isn't as fast as everyone said it would like it's not as crazy of a jump as I thought it would be and then from the preseason to the first Cleveland game is kind of when uh, you, you make your first tackle and then you make your first big play and say okay it was like this is this is the real deal here and I'll make a play like why can't I, I do this on a regular basis. How much has it helped you TJ to practice against what essentially is one of the best offenses in the NFL? Uh, it's helped tremendously. Um, just from rushing the passer when you have uh, a great O-line on the other side, one of the best in the league, when you have whenever you're in coverage, you're always covering an elite athlete who's one of the best in the league too. So I think uh, from all aspects of the game, uh, you're going up against uh, some of the best in the league every day in practice, and I think that's truly helped my development uh, a lot. In many ways, the selection of you by the Steelers in round one made sense. Perfect fit, perfect fit for the defense. Um, But it was late in round one. How much motivation do you carry from the fact that teams passed on you, allowing you to be there for the Steelers to take you when they did? Uh, I don't think I had any resentment against any team or really had that, oh, I'm going to show everybody because I was a late round pick that I'm worthy of being a top. Because I don't get caught up in that. I just was super excited that somebody took a chance on me and, and they selected me and they believed in me enough to bring them onto their organization. And that's why I play so hard for the, for Pittsburgh Steelers. I play so hard for this, uh, this city and the Rooney family because they believed in me. They, they took a chance on me and, and I'm just trying to um, show it back to them that I'll put everything I have for this organization, for this city. How long was it, TJ, after you arrived in Pittsburgh that you couldn't go anywhere without somebody knowing who you were? It's still not too bad, um, but I, when I first got there, we went to Permani Brothers and Pamela's downtown, and um, it, the, I had a camera crew with me, so that kind of got people around me pretty quickly. But um, the people are super nice. I just went out to you with my um, with my family and my girlfriend the other night, and uh, a few people were recognize me, but they're all very respectful, and, and that's why I love the city of Pittsburgh. One thing, the fans are very zealous about the team, and there's a lot of animosity now as it relates to former Steelers linebacker James Harrison. And I'm not going to get into the nuts and bolts of what happened. I just want to know how surprised you are about the reaction, both within the locker room and among the fans, to Harrison leaving and landing with the Patriots. Uh, at the end of the day, it's a business, and we understand that, that uh, 
certain pieces of the puzzle are, are going to um, move on and, and go to several places, but uh, the main operation doesn't stop. And I think we've done a great job all year of being able to stay focused on the task at hand. And this week it's the Jacksonville Jaguars, and uh, that's what we're planning on doing this week. During the season, your coach Mike Tomlin was interviewed by Tony Dungy, and he said we should win it all. Do you agree? Uh, you're not going to drag me into that. I'm just going to drag for Jaguars this week. I'm a rookie, man. I'm not letting you get any headlines up. TJ, hey, well done. You've passed, <laughs> unfortunately. <laughs> I'm going to have to find a headline somewhere else. <laughs> All right, buddy. Yeah, I'm smarter than that. All right, good luck. Thanks for some Thank of your time. Me. All right, thanks to TJ Watt for some of his time. It's going to be an intriguing matchup on Sunday. Mike Tomlin, the Steelers coach, says both teams have evolved since week five, and teams change. We've got another rematch this weekend. The Vikings and the Saints getting together. They opened the season on Monday Night Football. Dramatic differences between those two teams. I don't know how relevant any of what happened back in September is to that game. I don't know how relevant... Any of what happened in early October is for the Steelers and the Jaguars. But as I said earlier, the fact that the Steelers are getting the Jaguars, I feel like this is a way to ensure that they won't get ahead of themselves. And wasn't it funny how I tried to get T.J. Watt to eat the trash, to take the bait? Mike Tomlin said we should win it all. T.J.'s not going there. Which underscores that maybe, just maybe, that's not something Mike Tomlin should have said. But that all gets brushed aside because... The bottom line is the Steelers got to beat the Jaguars if they have any hope of trying to get through New England and back to the Super Bowl yet again. I was surprised today to see that Mike Shula was fired by the Carolina Panthers a couple of years ago when they made it to the Super Bowl. Remember that no one was interested in interviewing him to be a head coach, and apparently the problem was he didn't have an agent at the time. And all the agents for the other candidates were telling people Mike Shula isn't interested. And the word got out that Mike Shula is not going to interview or he's not going to interview at all or think about it at all until after the season ends. And Shula eventually said, I never said that, but that's the problem. It's a dirty, dirty business. And agents will lie and lie and lie some more to advance their agenda. And I've been lied to many times. And I'd like to think after... 16, 17 years in this business, I know when I'm being lied to. And I don't have a whole lot of patience for that. Once you lie to me once, I'm done with you. But somebody was lying about Mike Shula, and now two years later. And this is a reason why Matt Nagy was smart to strike while the iron was hot. Because there's no guarantee that iron's going to be hot next year. Maybe a year working with Patrick Mahomes makes Nagy even more desirable. But when your ship comes in for one of 32 jobs, the smart move is to jump on it. Shula never got the chance because he didn't have somebody out there who was beating the bushes and talking to reporters and getting his name on the list. And that that really is the game. When we hear the reports in October, November of every year of the hot coaching candidates for the coming cycle, some of those reports come from conversations with people who work for teams. Some of those reports come from calling up the perceived power brokers in the agent industry who represent coaches and saying, tell me who the hot candidates are. And you know what? There's a chance that they're going to be right about who the hot candidates are, but there's also a chance that sprinkled in there will be a couple of self-serving names, client names, in an effort to get those names mentioned. Because let me tell you, if somebody had been pushing Mike Shula a couple of years ago, he would have at least gotten some interviews. I mean, somebody put out there the blatantly false notion that he wasn't going to interview until the Panthers' season ended. They had a bye that year. He could have been interviewed during the bye week. You don't need team permission for that. So, Shula, two years later, is out. And Ron Rivera, who said yesterday he wasn't going to make any changes to his coaching staff, he woke up at 3.15 a.m. and realized he needed to make a move with no intention of making a move before that he said he has a plan about making a replacement and there's thought that maybe North Turner is going to be the person who joins Ron Rivera and gets the most out of Cam Newton look the offense wasn't horrible this year 
But I think they feel like they're at a point in Cam Newton's career where they need to find a way to get the most out of all the various pieces. And they definitely need help at receiver. When Devin Funches, your number one receiver, would be number three at best for the Atlanta Falcons, which frankly is one of the reasons why I'm convinced the Rams wanted to be the number four seed so they would have played the Panthers instead of the Falcons in wildcard weekend. But when your number one guy is Devin Funches, you got a problem. All right, if I don't wrap this up, I'm going to have a problem. I'm going to answer your questions because i gotta, I got to be somewhere. It's, it's, and, and in the interest of full transparency and self-awareness, it is two-pay adjustment day once every couple of weeks. So i got to get there or I'm going to be late for my appointment. And they bill me anyway. So I'm very cheap, too. So i got to make sure I get there. All right, I'm going to get to your questions. Not a ton of them. And, of course, the, I'm going to start at least taking a half second to read these before I I just blurt them out. Had an experience yesterday where there was a tweet and I went with it and it occurred to me while I was addressing the tweet that it was all premised on something that was inappropriate, that wasn't obviously inappropriate. It took a little thought. Long story. And this isn't going to be the next guessing game. Trust me. But I'm, I'm going to try to be a little more careful so you don't have to edit out portions of the PFTPM podcast. Because when we got done yesterday, I said, hey, look, that one part, go back, take that out. That's not something that ever should have come up. And I should have realized that I shouldn't have addressed that specific tweet. So with that said, Mayor of Horse Creek. And now I'm also trying a new approach here. I can go with the at or I can go with the name next to it. Or I can go with both. Sometimes the at is hard to make out, and it makes for a clunky presentation. So for now, and I reserve the right to change my mind at any time, including during this episode of the PFTPM podcast, Mayor of Horse Creek has a question. Who is the best play-by-play announcer in America, radio or TV? It's got to be Al Michaels. And here's the thing. Beyond Al Michaels, and look, Joe Buck, Jim Nance, They're up in that same echelon. Right now, Al Michaels is the living legend figure. Nance is going to get there as he gets older. That's the one good thing about being old and successful. You become a legend, a living legend, which is always better than being a dead legend. Buck has been around for a long time, and I think Buck has benefited in recent years from creating the sense that he's not, oh, I don't know, what's the right word? You can probably fill in the right word. He's not that. He's more self-aware. Being on with the guys at Pardon My Take helped him out. But, you know, where's the next generation of great play-by-play announcers? Where are they? I mean, if ESPN decides to start from scratch with the Monday Night Football booth, who's the replacement for Sean McDonough? People complain about Sean McDonough. Who do they have at ESPN who would be better? Do they hire somebody from another network? And this whole replacement for John Gruden thing, I mentioned this yesterday. Write it down. They are going to create the sense of a Willy Wonka-style competition within ESPN because they want whoever gets that gig to be just so happy that they got the job that they're not going to ask for a ton of money. And if they do, well, we'll move on to the second one. Is that what you want us to do? If you if you want us to move on to second choice, we will. You, you can win the contest but never actually get the job if you want. Because eventually, choice two, choice three, choice four, somebody's going to take the money that's on the table. I just don't think they're going to be able to attract. I think the white whale is Peyton Manning. I don't think they're going to be able to attract him. By the way, the latest game, the latest guessing game, now that we've gotten through the who said you're better than that to me, February 1 of 2013, the new guessing game is what was Shefty's reaction to the text I accidentally sent to him saying that his new glasses make him look like Morty Seinfeld. And I've already confirmed that there were two profanities in the response. So some of you are making guesses, and there's no profanities in there. Not that I condone the use of profanity on Twitter, but if we're going to play this game, I mean, you can can edit the words. You can use dashes if you want to. I think I'll know what you mean. But that's the game. So in order to even get discussed or mentioned, you got to have two profanities. No more, no less. And look, it probably is going to take 10 years for someone to guess. I hope to live that long. 
We'll see if someone guesses between now and then. I know it's broad. I know. We're just having some fun. Fittis and Kane. Are teams and owners reluctant to give Josh McDaniels Belichick-like control because of how badly his first stint in Denver went? Has that affected his head coaching candidacy? I don't know. It hasn't affected teams' interest in him. He's regarded as the top of the A-list, at least as it relates to current coordinators. I think it affects his view. Now, maybe teams are less likely to give him what he wants. So, hey, we'll hire you, but you still have to work for the GM. That may be the issue. Teams still want him to be the coach. There just has yet to be a circumstance where he gets everything that he wants. I'm still keeping an eye on the Colts, although I, I, I'll believe it when it happens. But also the Tennessee Titans. Because that statement from Monday, Sunday, it was Sunday that the statement came out. It was Monday that I finally got wise to what they were saying. Yeah, sometimes it takes a little while. Isn't it better to figure it out late than never at all? A lot of people, I won't name names, a lot of people read the statement as meaning that Mike Malarkey is definitely going to be back in 2018, and that's not what it says. In order to eliminate distractions moving forward, Mike Malarkey is our coach moving forward. What the hell does moving forward mean? What is the timeline that is implied in moving forward? And this is a written statement. This is the product of having as much time as you want to come up with the right words. And we have to assume that these words were chosen deliberately, not through a random time generator. Gee, what do we use? Do we use for the next year? Do we use for the next two years? Do we say for the foreseeable future? Do we say moving forward? Do we say until he isn't? Is it like a jumble or a Mad Lib? No. They knew what they were doing. Moving forward. In order to eliminate distractions moving forward, he's our coach moving forward. I think they put moving forward in there twice so moving forward can be as long or as short as they want it to be, including as short as one week. We wanted to eliminate distractions moving forward into our game against the Patriots, and Mike Malarkey was our coach moving forward for our game against the Patriots. So I still don't rule out Josh McDaniels emerging. I get that Gruden vibe with him a little bit. Like there's already something going on. There's already some conversations. I know they can't talk to McDaniels. Hmm. I, look, he's got an agent, and the agent represents a ton of people. You can talk to the agent. How are you going to prove that there was tampering or any type of inappropriate communication? You can't. It happens all the time. And it's if people are smart, impossible to prove. Matt and Beantown, how important is it for teams with head coaching vacancies like Detroit and the Giants to move quickly on hiring replacements in order for the incumbent to put together a good staff? Feels like there's a ton of defensive coordinator and offensive coordinator shuffling going on right now. That's the conundrum every year. And that's why I think the NFL should let assistant coaches whose teams are still playing not just interview but also be hired. Because at some point, teams aren't going to wait. Kevin Gilbride told us last year on PFT Live that when the Giants lost to the 49ers. Or no, it felt like a loss to him. They beat the 49ers in the NFC Championship game. They beat the 49ers' stats. The Giants beat the 49ers to advance to the Super Bowl. Everybody's celebrating on the bus, and Gilbride gets a message from a team that was interested in hiring him to be its coach. Now, he didn't say who, but we think it's the Buccaneers. They hired Greg Schiano instead, if it was them. But that team, whoever it was, told Gilbride, we can't wait any longer. So you win and you lose, and you lose and you win. Matt Nagy wouldn't be the head coach of the Bears right now. They may have hired somebody else. What if the Chiefs had won last weekend, and the Chiefs had somehow won this weekend, and the Vikings had lost, and all of a sudden Pat Shermer's the head coach? That's what's so weird about this. The one thing I want to say about Nagy, and I talked about this yesterday. He loses Saturday. He's interviewed Sunday, and he actually wanted to start the interview earlier. They called him up and said, hey, we know you've been through a rough night. We're willing to delay this a day or two. And he took that as some great gesture. And he said, yeah, you know what? Let's let's start even earlier. I want to go now. That's a bad time to make big life decisions. Because in that moment, when you're questioning everything about your skills and abilities, whether or not you get it, whether or not you're good at this job, when you have somebody who's willing to tell you that you're good at this job by hiring you to be a head coach, you're more likely to say yes, when maybe your initial response should have been, let me sleep on it. And look, Nagy's 39, he's been around a lot, but has he been around enough to understand? 
what's going on inside of him? Did anyone advise him, hey, Matt, you know, you just had a rough day on Saturday, and they're coming at you hard. Are, are you sure? Are you sure that this is the right thing? What's wrong with waiting a day or two? And if they're putting the hard sell on him because they're getting ready to hire somebody else instead, go hire him. Don't you want to put the time into it and make sure that we're talking about something that's going to work? It's not like buying a car. I feel like Matt Nagy and the Bears put as much effort and time into this as you would checking out a car. And at least you go to multiple dealerships when you're thinking about buying a car. This is slightly more important, not just to the employee, but to the franchise. Anyway. So, yes, it's important to move quickly because the staffs are being lined up and coaches are being claimed. But some of these teams want to wait for the coaches they want, and they're not going to get the coaches they want until their seasons end. At the Gnome Fighter, a.k.a. Ryan Scott, how come the NFL decided to go with the two afternoon games on Sunday this weekend? Last year, I remember them going with late afternoon and night because of weather, and I thought ratings were better, and they figured they'd do it again. You know, that's a good point. That's a very good point. I thought they'd do it again as well. Because it does make more sense. And that's going to be the caveat this year. Well, you know, the ratings are lower for Sunday's games because last year's Chiefs-Steelers game was played in primetime. This year, that explains the drop in the ratings. I don't know what thought they gave to it, but I have a feeling the Steelers weren't happy that they played Sunday night and the Patriots played a full day earlier. And isn't it funny how the Patriots always end up with that Saturday night divisional round home game, Saturday afternoon or Saturday night? Three years ago, it was the Ravens in that 4.30 p.m. Eastern slot. You get Saturday, you get an extra day to get your guys ready for the next game. And how does it work out that every year that's when the Patriots play? At some point, don't they have to play the divisional game on Sunday? The home divisional game? So... For the Steelers, now look what they have. They have the early slot. They're going to end up with an extra seven hours. And you may think seven hours isn't all that much. Seven hours, that extra time, even if it's just getting a really good night's sleep after winning the game, it sets the foundation, creates the right tone and mindset for the week to come. All right, I'm running out of time here. So speaking of time, let me just scroll through here and see if there's anything else. At Stephanie Grease, should the Jets keep rolling with Josh McCown, given what he did this year, and shouldn't he be recognized for his contribution? Yes, he's the team MVP. And I think Josh McCown is one of the more underrated quarterbacks in the NFL. And I think the Jets should re-sign him and draft their next quarterback because McCown will not be threatened. He will not, he will not go to the owner and say, trade the backup, trade the youngster. I want to play to I'm 45. He will embrace it, and he will teach the guy, and he will use it as part of his education in what will inevitably be his future as an NFL coach, either assistant or eventually head coach. Sean Alvishire has a good question. Do you think Mark Murphy consulted Aaron Rodgers on the management shakeup in Green Bay? Oh, I think he did. Look, Mike McCarthy interviewed all four of the general manager candidates. He interviewed them. They didn't interview him. He interviewed them. When you have a franchise quarterback, I think you want to make sure he's on board because he's got two years left under contract. And if he decides he doesn't like what's going on, he could make things very unpleasant. I know he's under contract and there isn't much he can do. And I know that he's not going to try to alienate the Packers fans. But what if he decides he doesn't want an extension? What if he decides he's going to play the franchise tag game or try to get to the open market and go somewhere else? What if he decides he just needs a change of scenery? I think you want a guy like Aaron Rodgers who is very sensitive. He's so sensitive about being sensitive that he's sensitive about being sensitive. I think you got to manage him a certain way. And I know coaches coach and players play and yada, yada, yada. But when you have a transcendent player on your roster and you know he has some idiosyncrasies, you better account for them. Even if you're just paying lip service. Even if you're not going to change anything based upon what Aaron Rodgers says, I think it's worth having the conversation. Hey, Aaron, just want to keep you apprised of what we're doing here. I think that that's a good way to handle Aaron Rodgers based upon my understanding of Aaron Rodgers. One more question. Daniel Williams with the Green Bay Packers changes in upper management. What is the chance Mike McCarthy's on the hot seat? He's not. He could have been if Russ Ball had been the GM and Mike McCarthy had continued to report to Russ Ball. But I think McCarthy made a power play last week 
And the end result is he's the most significant employee in the organization, non-player employee, other than CEO Mark Murphy, because now McCarthy reports directly to Murphy. He no longer is at the will and pleasure of the GM, subject to his contract and the buyout language, but he no longer works for the GM. He works for the owner. And the GM job has been split into two different positions. So McCarthy has the most juice of any of the people in the Green Bay organization other than the CEO. I thought that was the most significant development to come out of the changes. All right, I probably should go. There's more here that I'd like to get to. You've got some good questions today. Jack Rippa does not have a very good question. If you go to the list of questions, the <laughs> uh, sometimes it's unavoidable would be the answer to Jack Rippa's question. Although I was on a plane on Sunday and somebody in there was over and over again. Never mind. You can check out what Jack, Jack Rippa's question was. I think we'll end it on that note. Tomorrow, we're scheduled to be joined by Jim Mora, the former coach of the Falcons, the Seahawks, and most recently the UCLA Bruins and the coach of Josh Rosen. He's always a great interview, and in this format, we can talk for as long as we want to talk, and you can listen for as long as you want to listen. Hopefully, you'll listen to all of it. Thanks, as always, for some of your time. Have a great day. PFT Live tomorrow. Mike Tirico. want to talk to him about John Gruden. We're going to air the T.J. Watt interview, so if you listen, you'll get to hear it again. You actually get to see the graphics and my uh, makeup face, which uh, results in less ugly, and uh, plenty more. I think we're also going to have Delaney Walker tomorrow morning as well. Stats is out there lining up all the guests. It's playoff week, divisional playoff week. We'll continue the process of getting you ready. Thanks, as always, for some of your time. We'll talk to you again tomorrow. You can find the PFTPM podcast on Art19, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and Google Play. If you like what you hear, and you will, subscribe for automatic downloads. Leave a rating and review. That'll help new listeners find our show and push us up the charts. Search PFTPM for your evening update from Pro Football Talk. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.